Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we'll share weekly messages as well as other resources we hope helps you as you seek to grow and know Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can connect with us, visit bcwc.org. I want you to think about who introduced you to Jesus. Maybe who introduced you to church, to faith. I was thinking about that this week and remembering how my mother did that for me. She was a single mom and the volunteer youth director at our little church, and I was the mascot that she just dragged around, and I got to see all kinds of expressions of her faith through that. And I remember trips to the drop-off line at school and talking about life and faith and Jesus. I think about her bringing me to church and praying with me. Do you have somebody like that in your life? Someone who brought you, shared with you, prayed with you. Today we continue this story about the first chapter in Mark. And Mark has been moving us through these stories of Jesus rather quickly here in the first chapter. There's a lot, and he's saying immediately, immediately, immediately. He's moving, and it's helping us as we start this new year, I pray, to have kind of a reintroduction to Jesus to pay attention to these stories and how Mark wants us to see who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about. We have so far met John the Baptist declaring that God's kingdom is coming and that the Messiah, God's anointed, is coming. He says, repent and believe. Then we meet Jesus who is baptized by John and affirmed by God, the Son of God. He then goes out into the wilderness to be strengthened He comes back from the wilderness and calls four fishermen to become fishers of people. They leave everything and follow. Last week, we saw how they then entered into a fishing village, probably their hometown. They went to the place of worship, and there was a person afflicted by an unclean spirit. Jesus cast this spirit out, healed this person, and We saw Jesus teach and act with authority. We've seen this picture of Jesus. Authoritative. Powerful. People are drawn to Him. Mark wants us to see a Jesus that offers us a way and a vision of life that contrasts and confronts the way of political power or just religious comfort. He is a teacher who is God in flesh powerful enough to cast out evil, to transform lives. And perhaps so far as we've looked at Mark, we have this picture of Jesus, but it's sort of at a a distance, a a middle distance. Maybe you think about going to an art museum and you see a portrait of like a whole body person. Today, the image is getting closer. Today's text is more intimate. And it happens in the confines of a home At least most of it does. And so, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 1, or it will be on the screen as well. We'll begin in Mark 1, verse 29. The text says, As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew, two of his followers, with James and John. 
Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. I love how this story occurs right on the heels of this big public healing of this man with the unclean spirit in the synagogue. Jesus does this big healing that has systematic implications for this place of prayer and community as unholiness had infected what was to be a place of holiness, and then he just goes to a house, like any of ours, and he finds a woman with a fever. Fever like you perhaps have had this year. A fever like my oldest has right now. <laughs> Admittedly, in the ancient world, right, uh, antibiotics didn't exist. There, there's a little bit of gravity here about fevers at this time. A gravity that we might not appreciate in a world of Tylenol and penicillin, but compared to the healing that this story is on the heels of, it seems small. The mother-in-law of a new follower, unwell and unable to do what she wants to, and yet Jesus has the authority and the power to care for things as big as an unclean spirit that infected a religious system and as small as a fever. I think perhaps for some of us, we think we can't ask for prayer about small things. Can't ask God for help with these little things. I mean, there's a lot going on out there, right? Why would God spend time on my small issue? But I love that in the smallness, Jesus responds. That he shows up to this house and she's ill and these men tell him all about her. That in the closeness of relationship, they meet each other. That these men introduce her to Jesus and Jesus to her. And we see healing and transformation. How many of us have had our faith and faith stories shaped so deeply by family member, friends, people who encouraged us, showed up, invited us. And look at how the healing takes place. Jesus reaches out and just takes her by the hand and lifts her up. It's the same verb that will be used at the end of Mark to describe Jesus' own resurrection from the dead. He's lifted up. She stands up and is well. He cares enough to reach out and grasp the hand of a woman with a fever. As I've been thinking about that grasp of a hand, what it must have been like. I'm reminded of the early Christian worship hymn that is included in the letter to the church of Philippi. In Philippians 2, 5b through 6, it says, Christ Jesus, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. And Jesus refused to grab onto his power to exploit his status as God in flesh. Instead, he laid himself down. But what does he grasp? We see here, he grasped the hand of a sick person. That this is who our God is that Mark wants to show us. One who will not exploit his 
power or privilege or status, but will go out of his way to care for the hurting. Now you may be saying, great, you've made this all very warm and fuzzy, but I didn't miss the end of the story. It says the woman then goes and serves them. Yucky. (laughs) Is this just some kind of ancient and unhealthy gender role, confining women to support roles? Are they just sending the mother-in-law to the kitchen while the men handle the ministry? Some have said that that's exactly what this text is saying. I disagree. I think there's a different way to read this text. She does begin immediately to serve them, but do you know what the word for serve is in the text? I'll share with you. It's the word diakonos. I only tell you that because this word's very important to the New Testament, and it's a word that we borrow from in the church today. It's where we get the word deacon. In the New Testament, when these leaders are called to serve in their community, that's the name they're given, the role that they're given to serve. They're selected by their community to meet needs, to lead, to support. You could argue that Simon's mother-in-law was the very first deacon in the history of followers of Jesus. Now, our deacons here at BCWC are not restricted or defined by gender. They are those in the congregation that have been called for special service and care for our congregation. Like Simon's mother-in-law, they respond to the presence of Christ with service. They embody the call that is the call of all Christians to serve and love our neighbors. What I think Mark is showing us is not some oppression to a person, to a particular role, but the freeing of someone from an illness to respond. To respond to God in the way that she is called and she responds by serving. All of this happening because of an invitation, a moment of connection. A family member saying, hey, look, she has a need. I believe Jesus was committed to close and deep relationships, and we see it here at the beginning of this text. But the ministry continues, and I want you to see what happens next. Uh, This is verses 32-35. That evening, at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed by demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. Can you just imagine that at your door for a second? The whole city was gathered around the door and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And in the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place and there he prayed. So the Sabbath ends and then people have the freedom to go and ask for help. They head to this house. They have heard that Jesus has done something incredible in the synagogue, and perhaps they've heard also about the healing of the fever, and so they come with their needs and their concerns. They come to the home. Eventually, it seems like Jesus must have fallen asleep or laid down to rest, and it says he then got up early to go be alone and to pray. Jesus is committed to this direct, deep ministry with those in close relationship with him and others, but he's also committed to his close relationship to God the Father. Jesus understands that all of what he does is flowing from his own connection to God the Father. He goes and finds silence, and he prays, 
and he's restored. Jesus is committed to prayer and spiritual formation. I can't tell you how essential this is for me to notice. For me in my own life, I mean, if Jesus, God in flesh, needs time to connect with God in prayer, I think we might too. It's attributed to the reformer Martin Luther that he once said, I have so much to do, I must begin the day with three hours of prayer. This hyperbolic statement gets to something so true, right? That we are best able to live and serve and be an overflow of the kingdom of God in this world when we take time to root ourselves to the King. We make time for stillness and prayer, for worship, to look inward. So Jesus goes to get some uninterrupted time of silence and prayer, and like many of us, when we look for uninterrupted time, he gets interrupted. Jesus understands us. This is Mark 1, 36-39. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. And he answered, Let us go to the neighboring town, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that's what I came to do. They went throughout all of Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The text shows us how these uh, fishermen become huntsmen. They are seeking Jesus. Look, everybody's looking for you, Jesus. We've got stuff to do. Where are you? How could you go away in this moment? Come on. They must have thought this call that they've accepted to become fishers of humanity was pretty easy so far. Is this all that Jesus has called them to do, to hold the door open as the crowds just file in? This sounds pretty good. They must have thought, can we just stay here in Capernaum and keep on doing what's working, right? Isn't this awesome? But Jesus, after spending time in prayer, responds to them in a way they likely don't expect. He says, we're going to keep going to neighborhood after neighborhood, to different towns and different cities, we're going to proclaim this message because that's what I came to do. Jesus says, healings will come, yes, but I am committed to this mission. I'm so struck by Jesus' clarity of purpose in this moment. I don't know that I would have left Capernaum. (laughs) I mean, you get to just heal people and be loved for it. He could have been a local celebrity doing good things with very little risk from the powers that be in Jerusalem or Rome. The disciples would have liked that. It's their hometown. They could have just stayed where they're comfortable and welcome the crowds in. Wouldn't it have been nice not to step out into uncertainty and to change? But Jesus understands. After his time of prayer, that he can't let doing everything, get in the way of doing the thing he's called to do. See, Jesus is committed to the mission of God, even if it leads him to uncomfortable places. A few months ago, I got to visit with Tony Campolo, the renowned writer and preacher and sociologist and professor and one-time retreat speaker at this church. And he asked me what he apparently asked every new person that he meets. He said, what was Jesus' purpose or mission in coming to earth? And there's nothing quite like getting a theology pop quiz from a spiritual giant at 11 a.m. on a Monday morning, let me tell you. And I think I answered well. And Tony gave his answer. Which is the same answer that I think Mark would give, the same answer we find in Mark's text. What 
Jesus told us himself in Mark 1.15 that he came to proclaim with his words in life and death and resurrection that the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is Jesus' mission to share this good news with the world. And as the people were crowding the home and seeking after Jesus for healing and the followers were helping them get into the building, I'm not sure any of them asked what Jesus' goals were, what Jesus' purpose was. They were thinking about their own needs, their own purpose. They brought their goals, their needs to Jesus, and Jesus cared for them. But through prayer, he stays connected to what God has ultimately called him to in the big picture. A message of good news and healing that's not just for Capernaum, but for all of humanity and all of time. Victory not just over the unclean and the fevers in one town, but over all death and evil in the world. He could have stayed in Capernaum made himself a messianic private practice, took care of whatever needs came through the door. But in deep work, in deep prayer, Jesus commits to his purpose for the whole world. One pastor writes that the people knocking on your door are rarely doing so to help you fulfill your goals. (laughs) They want to help with theirs. And there's nothing wrong with that. We should meet needs with responsive service, But we can't let the goals of everybody else, the goals of our work, our culture, the voices we hear or read, those goals blur our ability to remember the goals of the kingdom. The goals that remind us that the kingdom is at hand and we're called to join in, that God is at work even now, even in us. This passage made me ask myself if... I consider Jesus' purposes or just my own. Jesus' motivations or just my own. Certainly, we all have purpose and value and calling in Jesus' kingdom. But are we remembering that big call, that big message? Are we paying attention to the kingdom that is coming near? We sing a song here at BCWC sometimes called Me Higher, and it has these lyrics. I can hold on to who I am and never let you change me from the inside. I could be safe here in your arms and never leave home, never let these walls down, but you've called me higher, you've called me deeper, and I'll go where you will lead me, Lord. I love this song because I relate to this feeling. I love a faith that includes meeting the divine in beauty and worship that helps me look inward and grow in my own personal faith that moves me towards spiritual health. Yes, I love all of that, but I would like for it to stop there, please. (laughs) I'm not sure about a faith that pushes me from there to risk and wilderness and things that might be uncomfortable. I don't know that I want to leave Capernaum when I've got a good thing going. Psychologist and researcher Dr. Todd Hall is doing some great work right now on transformation and spiritual change. Uh, And his work is emphasizing uh, how we change and how we grow through relationships. And he's got all these studies and data about spiritual formation and transformation. And he argues that his research points to these three things that tend to be consistently effective in helping people make changes 
and make big steps in their own spiritual lives. The first is deep relationships. We live in a time that research is telling us where people have fewer and fewer deep, close relationships. But in a network of support and in relationships where you can be vulnerable and honest with people who really know you and, and can tell when you're faking it, right? People who will challenge you and support you in these relationships, deep change happens. Jesus models that, right, with these four followers and then their connection to the Simon's mother-in-law. The next thing that they found to be incredibly effective is contemplative prayer and meditation. So we have deep connection to people close to us and then a deep connection to God. To look inward and look to God, to reflect and pray, to spend time in silence. Jesus does that too in the story, right? He goes out into the wilderness, spends time in prayer. It helps him be rooted to his mission. We, we can cultivate that too. And the third thing he says that, that is effective and really helps us in our spiritual growth is suffering. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> I'll take one and two, please. But the reality is we all go through suffering and wilderness and challenge. And we can grow in the midst of that. That God could use that if we would be open to it. That God could shape us as we depend on God. As I read the text this morning, I'm moved by Jesus' commitment to just keep going even though it will cost him his life. I'm moved by these followers' eventual commitment to keep going to out of their hometown and into a riskier new reality. I'm comfortable with how Jesus meets me in my inner life, and I sometimes just want to stay there. But there's a call to move forward, to go, to be committed to the kingdom that is at hand. Now earlier I said that the followers and the ones being healed really seem to only be worried about their own needs, but I think that's not quite right. I think we have one example of somebody who gets it in the story and gets it right away. It's Simon's mother-in-law. She responds to Jesus with service. She joins in on what Jesus' mission would be. Not even just serving Jesus and his followers, but you realize that her home is about to become like an urgent care, and she is there to serve. She seems to understand before anybody else in the Mark's gospel what Jesus will teach and model in Mark 10, 45 when he said the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. She gets it. She embodies it. She lives it. So Jesus and his followers will move along and continue to teach and pro proclaim this message. And, and I wonder what happened to her. She's not named again in the text, but we can imagine. I mean, throughout Mark and the other Gospels, we learn about these faithful women, these disciples who traveled with Jesus. We see them at the foot of the cross. They're there first at the tomb. They're serving and caring and paying attention. I have to imagine that perhaps Simon's mother-in-law was among that group. But she raised herself up one dark morning to see the Jesus who was raised. That one day she grabbed the hand of the risen Lord that had grabbed her hand before, but 
this time felt the wounds on his hands. The kingdom of God has come near. It has come near in the one who meets us. And this invitation, this intimate connection with God calls us to align our goals and our dreams with the one who lifts us up. Will we let him? Let him heal us of our feverish pursuits of self and self-doubt. Will we be raised to new life and will we respond with service? See, yes, Jesus meets us intimately. We see that in the text. But he also calls us to a universal mission. So will we join in with the God who impacts the whole world and does it in moments as close as a hand holding another's? Will we, like Jesus, commit to deep relationships, become people of prayer, and are we willing to follow? Even if it means we might go to places that will stretch us and challenge us. But who knows what God will raise up. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Simon's mother-in-law and for her response to your healing. We thank you for these four followers who knew of a need of someone they knew and they loved and they said, you got to know Jesus. We thank you for the faithfulness of Christ who emptied himself out to become a man and walk among us, who laid down his life for the sake of all humanity, who invites us to new life. Life everlasting, but life as kingdom people in the here and now. So Lord, we ask that you help us to be people who cultivate deep relationships. We look for those around us who may not have those deep relationships and we help create them with them. We look and see where our deep relationships are. And if there's somebody we need to reach out to, send a message to, share with. God, I pray that you help us to be people of contemplative prayer and meditation. That we would look inward and create time and space to be with you, to hear from you. And God, I pray that we would be people that follow you even into risky places. And that when suffering and challenges come, we remember how you suffered with us and how you continue to suffer alongside us. And we ask that you meet us, heal us, shape us, and transform us. Thank you, God, for meeting us intimately. Use us for your universal mission right here in this place, in this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or looking for ways to support God's work through our church, visit bcwc.org.